The scripture for today is from Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he had spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for the sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Thank you, Laura. Hey, Faith Westwood. Uh, it's great to be with you, all of you here in person and all of you online. And, you know, I've been praying all week that God will speak to us um, through this message, through this series. And uh, I also want to tell you, if you are on our uh, church's email list, that you can expect an email from me at about noon today. And it's going to have a couple of links in that email. The first is to a short survey. It'll just take you a few minutes to fill it out uh, on denominational issues. And this is an important part of our discernment process. Um, and we really need to hear from you. So, and if anybody here uh, doesn't have email, then I would say contact a friend, somebody here in the church, or you can even call the office and we'll set you up so that you can uh, take the survey. Uh, the second link is uh, to sign up for one of our info meetings where we're going to uh, go over the results of the survey. We're going to talk about our denominational options and respond to any questions that you might have. Okay? Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we ask you to bless this faith family as we begin this discernment of what denomination to belong to. Oh, Lord, let your love permeate our conversations. Help us to respect each other despite our differences. And now, Lord Jesus, breathe into us the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that we might be able to understand what has been revealed to us in Scripture. In your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. When I was in college, a fraternity brother of mine uh, received a really nice, sweet card from his girlfriend. And, uh, you know, she added love, all this, put her name in it. At the bottom, she added a scripture reference, Philippians 1.8. And so he looked up the verse, and then he brought his Bible to me and, and, and read that verse. He says, Steve, listen to this. For God is my record, how greatly I long for you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He looked at me and said, the bowels of Jesus Christ? What's she trying to say to me? And I said, what translation have you got? He looked on the spines, King James. And I said, let's, let's find another translation. So we did, and, and, and we found one very similar to our New International Version here, which reads, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Bowels or affection. Well, which is the right translation? And I will tell you, they are both right. They're both right. 
The King James Version gives us a very little literal translation of the Greek word splanknon, which means bowels. But the ancient Greeks used that word as well to also talk about something else. They viewed bowels as the source of emotions and affections. Now, today, we do something very similar to that. We associate uh, the, the bowel. You know, if, if someone shows tremendous courage, we might say, She's got a lot of guts. Really? Does it make me look fat? Today we're looking at strange things in the Bible. And it's part of the series that we're starting today called Don't Read the Bible. And for some of you, you're already feeling really good about this. You're thinking, this is going to be great. I don't read the Bible anyway. Now, this series will be really important for all of us, but I think especially for our middle school, high school, and college students. Because you're going to have friends and classmates and sometimes even teachers who will challenge you and challenge your faith because of what the Bible says. And I want you to be ready for that. I want you to be ready to stand firm. Here's another discovery about the Bible made by author and pastor Dan Kimball. His, uh, his non-Christian barber one day asked Dan if he believed in unicorns because he says they're in the Bible. Dan was shocked. Unicorns in the Bible? Actually, well, I didn't know it either. They're in there nine times. One of them is Isaiah 34. In the King James Version, it says... And the unicorn shall come down with them. Now, don't be surprised if you find on social media uh, some meme ridiculing the Bible because it talks about unicorns. Or I thought maybe this is a prophecy. Maybe uni is short for university and corn is short for corn huskers. <laughs> huh? Or maybe not. That, that, that would not be a valid interpretation. Now, the King James Version is a beautiful translation, but it was published more than 400 years ago, and a lot has changed since then. One, the English language has continued to evolve. Translation scholarship has improved tremendously, and many more and more ancient Bible manuscripts have been discovered. Now, today's translations render that Hebrew word rahim as wild ox instead of unicorn. I mean, it's, it's kind of understandable why they did that because of how that word is formed in the Hebrew, but, but the exact meaning is still not certain to us. But even in today's translations, there's still some really strange stuff in the Bible. If you were an Israelite with an infectious skin disease like leprosy, you had to go through a series of rituals, and including having the priest dabs, dab lamb's blood on your right big toe and your right earlobe. Now, why God had them do this, I have no idea. But apparently, it made sense to them. Now, if you read the Bible expecting it to be a, a pristine book with nothing but, you know, nuggets of timeless wisdom and inspirational stories, you're going to be surprised. 
you'll soon discover that the Bible is a lot messier than that because it deals with us, our messy lives. I read a, I read a book recently by a guy who's agnostic about God. Um, he also happens to be a vegan. And even though he doesn't believe in the Bible, he quoted Genesis 1:29, which says, where God says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. So does this mean that God wants us all to be vegans? Well, if all you had was this verse, you might be able to say yes. But then eight chapters later, God says, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. It's not a commandment, but you have to eat meat. You can be vegan if you want, but God is giving you permission to eat it. So today's message is don't read the Bible unless you're ready to keep reading. You see, every portion of the Bible is only understood within its context. As my New Testament professor in seminary liked to say, context is everything. He shortened it to C-I-E. Context is everything. So please grab a Bible and let's open it to Hebrews chapter 1, verse uh, 1 and the first part of verse 2. This was from the scripture reading that Laura just read for us. And by the way, you're going to notice these bookmarks in the Pew Bible this morning, which kind of outline the whole series here. You can take this bookmark home. And you say, of course, well, why do I need a bookmark if I'm not supposed to read the Bible? (laughs) Well, it's there to tempt you to read the Bible. This passage talks about what God did in the past and what he has done in the last days. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by how? By his son. Uh, What God revealed in the past is found in the Old Testament. What God revealed in these last days is found in the New Testament. And I like this passage because it gives us this this broad context of the entire Bible. And, of course, every individual verse has its immediate context as well. For example, in uh, Malachi 2, verse 3, God says, I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. Didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? You know, I've been thinking about that. Wouldn't you just, I would just love to have a poster with this verse on it, picturing all the people with dung-smeared faces just worshiping the Lord. I mean, we could start our own uh, stinky face cult right out of this verse, couldn't we? But But when you read it in context, in the context of Malachi chapters 1 and 2, God is actually chiding the priests in Jerusalem for bringing unacceptable animal sacrifices to the altar. And as prophets often did, Malachi uses provocative imagery to get his point across. 
One verse, uh, very popular, one of my favorites, uh, often gets quoted, and I think we quote it out of context a lot, Philippians 4, uh, verse 13. And the way most of us learned it, it says this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know that verse? Have you? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things? Does it mean that Jesus can give me strength so that I can shoot three-pointers like Steph Curry and I can sing like Justin Timberlake and, and lead like Volodymyr Zelensky? Fortunately, the current edition of the New International Version reads this way. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What is this? Well, it's inviting us to go back and check the context. Uh, in the verses before, Paul is saying that he has learned to be content, whether he has plenty or little, whether his stomach is full or empty, he can be content. That's what he can do through Christ who gives him strength. Context is everything. In an early chapter of Dan Kimball's book, he, he makes four quick Points, statements about the Bible. Uh, first, the Bible is a library and not a book, and of course a lot of us know that, but yes, it is printed under one cover. You can hold it in one hand. Uh, but it's 66 books written, over, uh, written in three original languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, uh, with an assortment of genres over a span of about 1,500 years and uh, by a few dozen authors. God inspired those authors, but they used their own vocabulary. God didn't bypass their brains, work through their own thoughts, and use their own understanding of the world. Kimball's second statement comes from one of my favorite Old Testament scholars, John Walton of Wheaton University. He says, the Bible was written for us but not to us. That's interesting, isn't it? The Bible was written for us, but not to us. I love the Bible. The Bible is a story of God's saving mission to rescue his lost children and to restore his broken creation. Without the Bible, we wouldn't know Jesus. We wouldn't know how to live as his followers. But I have to be careful that I don't read it as if it were directly written just to me. For example, uh, we love uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, some, a lot of you know this verse. Some of you would say it's your favorite verse. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We love that promise, don't we? But I want you to know this verse is not a blank check from God. It's not promising a trouble-free life with a high-paying job and a huge house and a large happy family. You see, Jeremiah wasn't writing to us with our assumptions. He was writing to people who had been abducted from their homes and marched in chains hundreds of miles away to live as refugees in Babylon. Jeremiah is reassuring them in their hardships that their days as God's chosen people are not over. They will not all die 
in Babylon. And when their 70 years of exile are complete, their grandchildren will have the opportunity to return to Jerusalem. That's what this verse is about. And we have to read it, remembering that point of view. Kimball's third statement is never read a Bible verse. That is, never read just a verse alone, although I'm going to continue to quote verses now and then to you, but there to help give the context for other passages. Uh, but this goes back to what I said about context. You know, every verse comes from a paragraph. Every paragraph comes from a chapter. Every chapter comes from a book. Every book comes from the Old or New Testament, and it's all part of God's big story of salvation. And that's why you and I have to keep learning the Bible all our lives. I mean, it's like a puzzle, and we're always putting these pieces together. Oh, this, this over here fits. In the second century, a guy named Marcion uh, decided that Jesus' people didn't need the Old Testament anymore. Get rid of it. Chuck it. It's no good. Uh, and that, that can be tempting, right? Because sometimes we read the Old Testament and go, ooh, this is hard to hear. Fortunately, the Christian leaders in the second century realized that Marcion's idea was basically flawed. The Old Testament is like the root of the plant. And the New Testament is the green stem and the leaves above the ground. And if you, if you sever the, the root from the sprout, they both die. You see, Jesus was a Jew, and we cannot understand him apart from the Old Testament. And the more that I read the Old Testament, the more I see glimpses of Jesus in it. And that leads us to Dan Kimball's fourth statement, all the Bible points to Jesus. Last Sunday, uh, my friend Susan Sapp spoke about Jonah. Did a great job here. Uh, Trish and I watched, uh, worshiped online. And anyway, uh, Jonah from the Old Testament. Now, the book of Jonah gives us glimpses of Jesus. The first chapter that tells us that, G that Jonah was on a ship during a raging storm and was tossed overboard. Suddenly, God stops the storm and calms the sea. And immediately I go, oh, oh, I remember. The other time in the Bible that that miracle happened is when Jesus stops the storm and calms the sea. And Jesus also said that Jonah's three days and nights in the belly of the big fish would point toward his own time in the tomb. Now, I want to address this morning one of the most troubling topics in all the Bible, and that is slavery. In the Old Testament, Exodus 21, verse 2, begins, if you buy a Hebrew servant... Some versions say slave, and of course, instead of servant, but if you're buying someone, then it's slavery, right? So God allowed the Israelites to have slaves. What's up with that? Does that mean that God approves of slavery or that the Bible endorses it? You know, some Christians in early America defended the, the practice of slavery based on Bible passages just like this. And, of course, we also know that the abolitionist movement was led by Christians who also read the Bible 
And they said God did not create or command slavery. Now, one of our guiding principles, right, don't read just one verse by itself. So we have to keep reading, and we don't have to read very far because later in Exodus 21, God clearly forbids kidnapping to, to sell that person as a slave. And that's what happened in the Atlantic slave trade. Africans were abducted and transported to this continent to be sold as slaves. But in ancient Israel, slavery wasn't like that. Uh, mostly a person would, would sell himself or herself as a slave as a way to, uh, to not starve if you, were, if you were so desperately poor. And it was also meant to be a, a path out of poverty. And what we see in, in the law of the Old Testament and all these laws in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy uh, is about limiting evil. And when we read all of Exodus 21, verse 2, it says, If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. So it was not slavery for life. God was limiting the evil, right? And here's some more context. If you read the first part of Exodus, what is it about? It's all about God delivering the Israelites from slavery. Egyptian slavery of the Hebrew people was oppressive, racially based, lifelong abuse, and God delivered them from it. God is in the business of setting people free. Now, in New Testament times, in the, in the Greek and Roman world, more than 30% of the people were slaves. Well, that's a huge, huge number. But those slaves could go to school and be educated. They could serve as doctors and lawyers. They could make money and be prosperous. Slaves were not forced to be slaves or it was not based on race. And slaves could buy their freedom if they wanted to. Now, I'm not saying that slavery in any form is acceptable. Slavery is not created by God or commanded by God. Yet, even in the New Testament, we find some troubling passages about it. One of those is Ephesians 6, verse 5. says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. That hurts, doesn't it? Could sound like God's endorsing slavery. A few verses later, slave masters are told to treat their slaves well. Uh, do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, I, I would wish that Paul would have just flat out condemned slavery. It's wrong, it's evil, don't do it. He doesn't do that. But I do believe that Paul sows a seed that makes slavery unsupportable. He says that we're all accountable to God, and God sees us all as equal. No favoritism. 
And then in one of my favorite letters uh, from Paul, he writes to his Christian friend Philemon, urging him to voluntarily set free his slave Onesimus, who is now his brother in the Lord. And to me, this is the clearest picture of what God wants. And then there's that that wonderful, profound verse, Galatians 3.28. Paul says that we're all God's children in Christ, and there's no hierarchy among Jesus' people. Now, I'm going to read this verse, and, and I'm going to pause between each phrase, and I want to invite you to take a breath between each one with me. And just, just so you can hear it and receive it into yourself. And the first point is about race. But among Jesus' people, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Neither Jesus nor Paul uh, launched a campaign to abolish slavery in the Roman Empire. But they did sow seeds that made slavery unconscionable for Christians. So when someone challenges you, you by quoting a verse in the Bible that, uh, that supports slavery, you'll know that there's a lot more to the story than that. Before the printing press was invented in the 15th century, the average person did not get to read the Bible. That's why they, they had, you, had to, you had to go to church to hear it read to you. Now, today, the Bible is the most published book in all the world, and yet there are still places in the world today where Bibles are forbidden. They're illegal. And yet, even there, people dare to own them and read them. Now, there are plenty of reasons to not read the Bible. It's really hard, it's complicated, it's confusing, it's, it's ancient, we don't understand those customs, and you're busy. You're, you're, you've got a lot to do. But I dare you, today I dare you to read a book of the Bible between now and the end of August. You could read a chapter a day, and you could finish either Luke's or John's Gospels by the end of the month. You could read a chapter a day, and you could read the letter of James five times in five different translations. Or if you want to read two chapters a day, you could, you could finish Genesis yet this month. So I dare you to read the Bible. You don't have one? We've got Bibles. We've got uh, Bibles right out in the, in the Welcome Center in the East Entryway. And uh, you can have one. They're free. You don't have to ask. Just pick one up. Or you can download an app. Uh, one of those, and they're free, like the, the, the Bible Gateway app. Dozens of translations right at your fingertips. You know, the world tells us, don't read the Bible. It's what's wrong with the world. Don't read it. 
but I dare you. Let's pray. Dear God, we ask that you will feed us and nourish us with your word. Teach us to handle it well and to understand it correctly. Inspire us to read beyond individual verses and to see the bigger picture, the grand story. We pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Amen.